Big Fluff. I thought B minus was generous. I've recently been released from a ten-year sentence, during which the only reading material available to me was your so-called report on Napoleon Bonaparte from your school bag. Your analysis was obvious. Your prose was weak. I was nine. Irrelevant. Hey, everybody. I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And we are continuing the annual tradition. Uh, you know it's September, so that means it's time to watch some Nick Cage movies. And that's what we're doing. We are into the second installment of Nick Cage Month with the second Nick Cage movie directed by John Turtletob, The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yeah, I technically it's the second movie that, one that we we've covered, did. not the second. Yeah. This is like the third one that they did together, at least. Yeah, because I think they did two National Treasures and then this they one. They definitely did the two National Treasures, and there may be others. We Turtle all Tub might is, have uh, done a movie with John Turtletob, for all that we know. I'm pretty sure I did, and I yeah. only starred in 17 movies, but I'm pretty sure one of them was directed by John Turtletop. Yeah, sometimes I'm not sure, but then I see that color grading, and then I see that road with the trees and Jerry Bruckheimer pop up at the right. end, the vanity card, and I'm like, you know what? That was a Turtletop. Yep. So so it happens. Because if you get the Bruck, you're probably going to get the Tob. I mean, that's just... Yeah, I, I, that, that's the famous line from Breakfast Club, for sure. <laughs> you mess with the Bruck, you get the top. Get the top. <laughs> um, yeah. So, Sorcerer's Apprentice. This is in the classic, uh, well, the modern classic Disney way. This is a film that is based on existing IP from Disney that they were hoping to to pump some new dollars out of. <laughs> This is based on existing IP in the flimsiest sense possible, yeah. uh, in that it is based on the snip, the clip, the se uh, segment of Fantasia, the Sorcerer's Apprentice, extremely loosely. Yeah, so... In that there's a sorcerer and an apprentice. So just to catch everybody up to speed, if, if that's not clicking for you, you've probably seen this, but it's... Uh, Fantasia, which is a delightful film. Wonderful. It has a variety of segments that are set to various pieces of music. There is the only one to feature Mickey Mouse, if my memory serves me. That it is correct. Is in fact the Sorcerer's Apprentice. And in it, there's a sorcerer, and Mickey is the apprentice, and he wears a pointy hat, and he is supposed to. Uh, there's like some water and he's supposed to use a bucket and he's supposed to clean up the water. But Mickey Mouse famously uh, is lazy and he doesn't want to do this. So he uses magic to get his logic's a little flimsy, but he gives hands to mops so that the anthropomorphic mops can carry buckets of water. But Classic, cleaning. classic blunder he he's using magic he doesn't understand and it gets out of control because they, wait they're dumping water into something they start flooding the place i just remember there's mops and they would probably should they just don't stop yeah they don't stop and then just there's water everywhere there's the mops keep uh mopping. once you mop you can't stop 
Yeah. And then the sorcerer shows up and he's mad and he uh, just savagely beats Mickey Mouse and like just violently for way too long with the mops, which I always as a kid, like traumatized me because he's like breaking the mops, but they're human now. So they're screaming. Yeah. Stop, (laughs) Yensid. Stop. (laughs) It's horrific. Because the sorcerer's name in the movie in the Fantasia is Yensid. Of course, Disney spelled backwards. Yeah. Which is not the presumably because Nicolas Cage is this character, I would guess. I don't it's definitely not A to A, but that is not his name in this movie. No, his name is is Balthazar Blake. Mm hmm. Yeah. So. That's the classic Fantasia cartoon. That's what it's based on. And you wouldn't really know that except for half heartedly. There is a there's like a, a half hearted wink. Yeah, um, it's also loosely based on I think it's a a, a Goethe a Johann Goethe short story called The Sorcerer's Apprentice, which the musical piece is loosely based on. And then, yeah, but the musical piece is like da 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 da. They do tease a little bit in this movie. There's, a, there's like a a wink to it, a nod. Yeah. But so again, not much. I will say that perhaps the best thing this movie does is. I do think if you wanted to evoke Mickey Mouse's voice and overall stature in a human being, Jay Barishall, great starting point. Like, yeah. Oh, 100%. Um, actually, my wife sat down and watched this with me. She got sucked in kind of because we were, uh, I, yeah, we were just watching it. And she's like, this man is a living cartoon. I cannot take him seriously. Yeah. Um, all I hear is hiccup from How to Train Your Dragon. Mm-hmm. And he just sounds like a cartoon. He's ridiculous. No, I, I, I did. It's true. I, I don't think that's a bad thing. No, I, I sincerely thought it was a very funny choice. Like, because it did seem like at some point when the Bruck and the Tob sat down and had their meeting and they were like, well, how are we going to do this? We can't do Mickey Mouse, obviously. We can't really have a human just being a human Mickey Mouse, but what's the closest that we could get to evoking the energy <laughs> of Mickey in a human being? That is one Jay Baruchel for sure. Yeah, there you will not find better casting for a human cartoon. <laughs> he is pretty much a human cartoon. Yeah, so enjoy that. I will say, I always... I So... Maybe just to get this out of the way at the beginning, I I really like the Sorcerer's Apprentice cartoon in Fantasia. I I think it's iconic. I never thought it made sense for Mickey Mouse. I don't think that really fits his character. I'm just going to say that at at the top. Yeah, I would. um, It's almost like Mickey Mouse is playing that part in sort of like a Robert Roger Rabbit universe world where. Like Mickey is the character we all know and love, but sometimes acts in these very cartoons. Muppet. Let's go like what the Muppets do a lot. Too. Yeah, yeah, very well. like. But even then, like they, I feel like they kind of typecast the Muppets in roles that would make sense for that Muppet. Yeah, like, like Gonzo's not going to play uh, Jacob Marley. You know, they're going to have Statler and Waldorf do that. Like that That's seems true. more logical. Yeah, the it's very tough in the Muppet universe uh, to get cast out of type. Like they once right. they lock you into whatever, however they view you. Look, look, we we all love Kermit, but that guy, once he decides what your role is in, in the Muppet Show, good luck. Yeah, he's uh, 
narrow-minded almost. Just he gets he gets an idea. He's like, you know what, Fozzie needs to be uh, beleaguered comic relief, and there's nothing else I want to see him do. Yep. Yeah. I don't care if he can. Yeah. I don't care. And it, it's it's really a shame because like a lot of great comedians, like we've seen with Bob Odenkirk, uh, like you you see with even Jim Brian, Carrey. Jim Carrey, Brian Cranston, you know, is primarily known as a comedic actor before Breaking Bad. I know that Fozzie has that range and he is capable of a dramatic performance that would break your heart. But Kermit won't let it happen. Yeah, just won't give it a chance. Yeah. Oh, well, moving, moving right along. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. Uh, so I just wanted to I get that the rainbow light. connection. <laughs> uh, you know, just it's not easy being typecast, but uh, the one that <laughs> we're going to talk about the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Uh, and it is like, sincerely, this is something that Disney often is i mean you could argue that's primarily when they're not making other people's movies this has primarily been their business model they're either making live action remakes of their cartoons or they're doing this they're you know they're bruckheimer got his start working with disney on this kind of stuff with the uh, the pirates of the caribbean like so that was a right. ride that was made into a series of movies they just did that again with jungle cruise which is uh, based on a ride, which was <laughs> loosely based on the African queen, which is still very bizarre to me that that's a, is a very weird thing that it's just like um, a game of telephone where there was a movie starring Humphrey Bogart and, uh, Catherine Hepburn. And then they, they copied it as closely as they could without getting sued to create they took a, the general idea. Uh, yeah. Disney did up a good, a good chunk, but copied the costumes, the aesthetic, as much as they could. And then that was a ride for a long time at the parks. And then they've now made a movie where The Rock and Emily Blunt are dressed just like, uh, you know, Catherine Hepburn and Humphrey Bogart. And also on a river. Uh, on a also boat on that like I, a tramp steamer going through the jungle. That I let me tell you, The Rock plays one hell of a Kate, Win uh, Kate Hepburn. Yeah. No, he's he's really great. And, you know, and, and I understand that she... It true to Humphrey Bogart, like Emily Blunt was drunk the whole time uh, filming it. Just, you know, method acting. Yeah. Uh, but we're not talking about that movie based on a Disney ride uh, or any of the other movies like Tomorrowland or Haunted Mansion. Uh, we're talking about a movie based on a short segment from a movie that came out in 1940. Mm -hmm. Sorcerer's Apprentice. And was... Well, they didn't... They were all new, right? Because there was a Fantasia 2000, but I think they... Yeah, it was all it was all new yeah, there wasn't, pieces and new animations. There wasn't a reprise of this or anything. So, yeah, the, the last time we saw it. But, yeah, it, the but this movie, even though it's based on that, it's talking about Merlin. The characters' names are changed outside of the fact that a cartoon man is starring in it. Yes. Uh, they, they've really changed pretty much everything. Like we said, there's one scene where Jay Barrashaw is trying to clean up his place because a lady's coming over and he he does enchant some a bunch of why does he have so many mops yeah that's not really explored and it's troubling like he has way too many mops it's troubling it's it's very disturbing <laughs> uh because usually like one he's is like enough. 
He's in college. And the, I first Do of you know all, how many mops I owned in college? Zero. None mops. Zero. I yeah. owned zero mops. I would guess if you asked the average college student if they owned a mop, ninety nine point nine percent of them would say no. I also didn't have a secret layer with a Tesla coil, though. Yeah. And I'm giving a 0.1% margin of error because I actually think the number is zero college students. 100% 100 did not own a mop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just, you know, you want to leave a little bit of room in case there's someone out there, some RA is is hoarding mops for their floor. I would say outside chance someone that lives in an off-campus apartment might have a mop or might have like a Swiffer wet jet for their apartment which i guess he did live off campus because he seemed to live in the teenage mutant ninja turtles lair underground i think yes as far as I but he also tell. had an apartment in a normal building too yeah did his mom die what happened to his mom i'm sure she died okay like of grief from that thing when he was 10 had to be yeah because they said he moved schools but they don't really say that, like, his mom moved him out of school. So I assume... Okay, so just to set it up, we, this movie starts when he's 10 years old. And they're on a field trip. And he wanders into Nick Cage's... Uh, Arcana Cabana. Arcana Cabana, which... A plus. No notes. A plus. <laughs> and, and gold. And he just starts barishawing in a china shop. <laughs> Yeah, he's a bear shell in a china shop. <laughs> he wrecks sure. everything in sight immediately, and he unleashes Alfred Molina, who had been trapped inside a, a, some antique piece of a, something. A, a Russian nesting doll. That's <laughs> what it was. A nesting doll, yeah. Right, right, right. So he's trapped inside a nesting doll. He gets out, and then... He and the weird thing is, it was just Alfred Molina playing himself. Yeah, he plays Alfred Molina in the movie. Uh, but he, he actually plays a, a, another sorcerer named Maxime Horvath. Yeah, Maxine Horvath. And, uh, <laughs> yep, nailed it. Because his thing is that he doesn't shower, he just covers himself in cologne to, to cover up the smell. That's like his whole gimmick throughout the movie. Yeah. Even though he could do magic. To... But he chooses not to. <laughs> Uh, he just wants to cover himself in eau de toilette. But so there's a big wizard fight with him and Nick Cage and they get trapped in a 10 year plot MacGuffin. And, yes. And uh, Jay Barishaw, like then the field trip that he was on tracks him down. They think that he peed his pants and every kid just mercilessly roasts him so bad. that and he didn't have Adam Sandler there going <laughs> through the grades one by one to stand up for him and say like, all the cool people pee the pants. Yeah, which is, that's what he really needed. You know, he met a sorcerer, but what he really needed was was Billy Madison. It was Adam Sandler. Yeah. And uh, so so then we find out that he changed schools after that. That like he left, he was gone from that moment. He never saw any of those children again. Yeah. Um, and then fast forward to 10 years later, uh, the MacGuffin opens and... Now he's thrust into the wizard duel between Maxime Horvath and uh, Balthazar Blake. Yeah, and it, that's pretty much all the elements that you need to know. In this world, there are wizards that have wizard fights. There are various enchanted antiques that you get trapped in. And 
there's science. I think that's it. Those, those are the only things that exist in this world. And science and magic are basically the same thing. Yes. And also, this movie perpetuates Hollywood's favorite myth that yes. we don't use all of our brain, and but wizards do. And that's why he's Jay Baruchel is good at science because he uses because all of his brain. he's able to access more of his brain. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to look. If any of if any aspiring screenwriters are listening, and I know you are, that's not a thing. It's, it's not, not even close to a thing. It's not. It's ju you just think it's a thing because a thousand movies say that it's a thing, and I don't care how many pills Bradley Cooper takes, it will never make. I your do. Brain. I want him to stay healthy. Well, but I mean, in the context but of limitless. No, I know. Yeah, I know yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. He should not take a limitless amount of pills and uh, that that it doesn't your brain there. We just I think that comes from because you don't use all of your brain at once. And maybe that's what people are. But it's not a thing. It's it, not it's, real. It's a complete misunderstanding of. I think the closest that statement is to being accurate is that it. Any one time, maybe 10% of the neurons might be firing. Right. So you're not but using then, all of it. It's still probably way more than that. Yeah. But Which, through the course of a day, you definitely use 100% of your brain. It would be wild. <laughs> now, here you go. Okay. Look, this is this is a freebie. This isn't even a pitch because I don't want to write this because it sounds like too much research. But if someone wants to write their limitless or their version of this, Make it be someone who has to use 100% of their brain at all times, <laughs> meaning that like every region of their brain every is- Every neuron has to be firing all the time. <laughs> yeah, it, it ends up being like, um, were those movies, the Jason Statham movies where- Oh, his, uh, Crank? Yeah, they're like crank, crank your brain. They're crank for your brain. <laughs> yes. And it's someone who if all of their neurons it, don't fire constantly, then they'll die- then and, the bus will explode. And so they have to figure out how to stimulate every single neuron all at once. That's not a bad pitch, actually. That's, you know what? There's a movie there. I take it back. We're writing this. So I <laughs> thought I was giving it to you, but I'm sorry no, if you started. that one. Yeah. Sorry if you started uh, yeah, writing someone it. Someone has to keep all of their neurons firing at all times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and else they'll die. And there has to be some other reason that they need to accomplish a task before they die. It's crank, but with your brain. Yeah, it's good. It, it, and what we're going to do is we're going to write crank on a chalkboard and then an S with a dollar sign. And yep. it will explain. And that's the it, script. And then under it, we'll write for your brain. The title? Brainstorm. Holy shit. Holy shit, Andy. <laughs> yeah. Come on. You might as well just write the S in brainstorm as a dollar sign because that so, money's going to start just rolling in. Yeah. So it's brainstorm, but the S is a dollar sign. And that is our pitch. And <laughs> that is our script. <laughs> that is everything. And it stars Jay Baruchel. And Jason Statham, because come on. Yeah. Credit where credit's due. And I picture it that it, this is much like The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Statham's trying to get out of the having the to do life. the thing all the time life so in a ring like situation if he can pass this on to jay baruchel then his curse has been lifted so he doesn't have to i mean yeah <laughs> hollywood give us a call you have our number we know you do yeah so and there's a part don't worry there's a part for for amy smart too we're bringing her back oh for sure amy yeah. smart Hell, we'll get the whole Varsity Blues cast back. We'll get <laughs> Scott Kahn. We'll get Ali Larder. We'll yep. get uh, we'll get the Beak. We'll get them all. 
Oh, man. If we got the beak. Oh, the beak. <laughs> Sorry, Jay. You just got cut. Yeah. It's, it's now the beak, beak now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Where are we at? I don't know. Oh, uh, let's talk about why this movie is maligned. <laughs> oh, it's very paint by numbers. It's super paint by numbers. Yeah, that is it. It um, It is never surprising. It is always predictable. Everything you think is going to happen happens exactly when you think it's going to happen. Yeah, it, it has the feeling of someone taking a screenwriting class and being told what page. Okay, so this is the page where this is supposed to happen. And then they just wrote yeah. the first version of that yeah. that they could think of. Like, okay, This is the page so where the hero doubts his ability and wants to abandon his quest. So A to A, he does that. <laughs> like, right. Like, no, because it, a lot of, I mean, let's be real. Most movies follow a formula and even movies that pretend to be better than other movies still usually follow some kind of formula. But I think the trick is to give the, like, I think this was actually um, the way that I heard this described by um, Christopher McQuarrie, which is. You want to give the audience exactly what they want or what they're expecting, but in a way that they don't expect. That basically, you want to hit all the beats of a story, but you want, if you're good at it, you don't want the audience to notice that that's what you're doing. That you're you're hitting the beats, but in an unexpected way or like in a fun right. way. And this movie, there's nothing wrong with it, it because the the trick is if you... If you just follow story structure and you hit those page numbers, the movie's gonna be watchable because that's why the formula exists. It's it's basically uh trait you know, it's like a coloring book. <laughs> like it's yeah, the, the it, it's lit that's why they call it paint by numbers. You paint yeah. the the right color on the right number and you get a pretty picture. Yeah, so it's the movie's not gonna be unwatchable if you follow the 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 page by page what to do but it's also not going to be f that memorable either if it's that's all it is and i so i think that's it is it's like everybody's fun in this movie nobody does anything wrong it's shot well it's a very competent movie but you know even if you're listening to this and you haven't watched it you could guess every single thing that's going to happen based on what we've told you uh, the only thing we left out is that there's a girl that went to school with him when he was 10 and then he reconnects with her. So just put her in there as the girl and right. Baby, yes, you she got does that a good story. job of playing the girl. Yeah. And she's very charming. Everyone in this yeah, movie is everyone in the movie very is really charming. charming. It's just not terribly memorable. No, it is like. You could watch the first five minutes of this movie and then be asked to guess the rest, I guarantee you'd be better than 80% accurate. Right. You could also watch the first five minutes of this movie, get up, go <laughs> make a sandwich, go answer some emails in another room, run an errand, run an errand, come back. If the movie's still playing, you'll be able to figure out what you missed. Yeah. You'll be, you'll be able to fill in the blanks. You yeah. could get up. like, Oh, I really want some chips. Realize there are no chips. Go to the store, buy some chips. Yeah. Come back. Realize you like, don't oh. like those chips and then go to a different store to buy the chips you really wanted to go. But that store was further and you were trying to save time and you didn't want to miss too much of the movie. But at this point, you really want those chips because like, yeah, like once you get really that craving, those. 
Yeah. Those cheddar and sour cream potato chips. Yeah. So you drive to the further uh, Ralph's and you pick up your chips and then you come back. You'll still know what happened. Well, then you get to Ralph's. You realize you forgot your Ralph's card, so you have to go back home. Yeah, because you don't want to pay Ralph's full card. price. Because you don't want to. You don't want to pay full price at Ralph's. You want to no. use the card. No, because Ralph's is not that cheap. You know, it's where no. you go when you want the name brand chips that they're not going to have at Trader Joe's or or Sprouts right. or something, or the but, local bodega or whatever. Yeah, but like, but you want that card. You got to save that money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You want to get the points. You want the Ralph's card. So then you have to go back, and then by then it's the climax of the movie, and you're like, I think I know how they got here. Oh, okay. So he he kind of told the girl what's up, and he's going to use science to to defeat Alfred Molina, who, now has magic. The, who now has the upper hand. Got it. Yep. Yeah. And I, the science is uh, Tesla coils. Yep. So there you go. Yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, that is literally every, like, it. that's everything wrong with this movie. It is... A perfectly, it is the definition of cromulent as a movie. Yeah, it needed a pass where someone just pitched the craziest thing that could happen. Yes. Like, just, it needed like or a, a poop pass. Poop pass would have worked, but like, or a Nick Cage pass. You you put Nick Cage in this movie. You got actually, Nick Cage was the impetus for this movie. He wanted to do a movie about magical things. And this is what happened. And then. I, like he didn't Nick Cage the movie as much as he probably should have. You know what? I'm going to put this out there in this. I don't know how the world is going to feel about it, but I'm just going to say it. Nick Cage would have been a good Doctor Strange. Oh, yeah. Like he would have. He would have nailed that. No, no shade. No to, arguments. To, yeah. No shade. To I love, Cumberbatch. I love uh, Slibderbeck Habity Batch. Yeah. I mean, he's he's good in the role, but it's. I mean, Nick Cage, first of all, if you don't know, the reason his name is Nick Cage is because that man is a lifelong Marvel fan, and he picked his fake non-Coppola last name uh, as a sort of way to honor Luke Cage. So, right. you know. And it's such a big comic fan, one of his sons is named Cal L. Cage, or Cal L. Coppola. Yeah, also such a big comic book fan, he did, what, two Ghost Rider movies? Yeah, and that's like three too many Ghost Rider movies. Yeah, and that's probably why they didn't cast him in... Uh, Doctor Strange, but he would have been great. He would have been a very good Doctor Strange. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he would have absolutely nailed it. Mm -hmm. And like, especially like even like 2010, 2005, Nicholas Cage, 10, 15 years ago, even better Doctor Strange. Yeah, but he'd be kill it now at almost sixty. Well, because Doctor like Cumberbatch is a little young for Doctor Strange. Honestly, I I picture him as like fifty. I think yeah like, from the guy. He's got the grain temples. He always seemed older than than what they went with. Everyone else, yeah. Yeah. Him and, uh, what's his name, from the final four? They seem like the oldest. Uh, yeah, Reed Richards. Reed Richards. Like, those two seem like, yeah, that they were in a similar age group. Yes, they did. It could be the Graying Temples. I think that's it. That was the only way to indicate older characters. But they're they a little had... bit older, but they, they, they still got some gas in the tank, though, baby. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. Um, um, so let's talk about what's what's fun about this movie. What's good about this movie, even though it's going to be a much shorter conversation. The entire cast. The cast. Uh, yeah. Alfred Molina. Great choice. Nick Cage. Great choice. Jay Baruchel. Walking cartoon. Yep. Girl. Great girl. Mm -hmm. Other girl. Also good. Great. Evil girl. Yes. Good evil girl. Good evil girl. Yeah. And uh, we are giving them as much 
character development as they were given in the script. That is not us. That's not. Yeah, we're not trying to throw shade. That is how defined those characters were. But yes, uh, Sorcerer Girl is uh, Monica Bellucci, Mm -hmm. who uh, you may know from the Matrix sequels. Uh, She was in a bunch of other. She's a famous Italian actress. I was going to say a lot of Italian films. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of Italian films. Um, (laughs) If you saw... The Matrix is probably the most famous American movie she's done. Yeah, the the later one. She's not in the first one, but she... Yeah, she's in the second one. Second yeah. two. Yes. Um, She was in... Also, I think she was in Bram Stoker's Dracula. That sounds right. Yeah, why not? Um, she is now. <laughs> uh, and then um, Evil Girl is Alice Krieger, who uh, is probably best known as the Borg Queen from the Star Trek Next Generation universe. Mm-hmm. And she plays an evil girl in both. And she has about five minutes of screen time in this movie. Yeah, that. Yes. Enough to know that she's an evil girl. Yeah, she mostly exists in a flashback and then shows up at the end. And is immediately dispatched. Yes. And also she, true to the Russian nesting doll thing, is inside of Monica Bellucci. Uh, yes. In, for, Not only is she nested in the same Russian nesting doll shell as Monica Bellucci, she's also nested inside of Monica Bellucci. And then Nick Cage inhales her. <laughs> and, and then spits her out and dies, but then doesn't die. Yeah. So maybe you wouldn't have guessed all of that, but that is all stuff that happened. That it, you know what, though? You would have figured you'd have been like, ah, it in, seems like this is what I just saw. In context. Yeah, you oh, my God, that is what I just saw. Yeah, you would have you would have gotten it. But yeah, so I like sincerely, though, everyone is very good at their roles. They just aren't given much to do. And I the clip that we played at the beginning that really like Alfred Molina is trying so hard to be he is Alfred Molina at his Alfred Molina is. Yeah, because I, I really I think I like really cling to that that thing about the homework, because like that to me is probably and this is so this is a much like a Russian nesting doll. I'm I'm putting this silver lining inside this other silver lining that we're having right now. That homework thing is great. Great pitch. The idea that the only thing that he had to read when trapped for 10 years was a homework assignment that a 10-year-old wrote and that he has had so much time to read it that he's really angry about (laughs) that it's not a better report about Napoleon Bonaparte is sincerely such a funny idea to me. And Alfred Molina knows that it's funny and plays it very funny. Yeah. And um, Alfred Molina and Nicolas Cage are their characters are immortal, so they lived contemporarily with Napoleon Bonaparte. Yeah, because they, I think they didn't they exist in like the four hundreds is when they were. They existed first. in the Arthurian period because they were uh, apprentices of Merlin, right, the right. Merlin. Yeah, so that's like right around yeah, like seven hundred, I think. Which is really funny, by the way, that they use Merlin, but then. That was Merlin's thing is that he is immortal and exists all through time, but also backwards through time, which never really made sense. But Merlin died in this universe. Merlin died back then. And and Jay Baruchel's character, and this might be another reason to malign it, is the prime Merlinian. Yeah. He's like the the descendant of Merlin. Yeah. And. The, the Nicholas Cage has been looking for for the prime Merlinian since Merlin's death. And then he finds him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so Alfred Molina is trying like he's doing great as the villain. Uh, and Nicholas Cage 
is okay. Like he's fun, but man, they needed more for Nicolas Cage to play. Yeah, I'll tell you the the most Nicolas Cage moment, and this sort of ties into uh, last week's movie, uh, Wally's Wonderland. Uh, at one point when Jay Baruchel is being chased by a dragon that came to life, um, Nicolas Cage tells him to do something like jump or something like that. And he says, are you insane? And Nicolas Cage just holds up like a little finger showing about an inch. Yeah. Like that was that was great. Yeah, that was a great moment. Yeah, I liked that. I also liked when Nicolas Cage just decided to sabotage his date. Like, I thought that <laughs> was a fun moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, and like Nicolas Cage is still really fun. Uh, I just think he could probably could have let the reins loose a little bit more that, than he did, though. That's what I mean. He's an immortal wizard. He should have been like, again, you did the fingers for for how crazy Nicolas Cage was indicating he was. I want those fingers wider apart. I want I want like, yeah, I, I want a fish that was this big. Yeah, I want a Nick Cage that that has lived so long. <laughs> That he's he's a Just little bonkers. Yeah. yeah. And also, I kind of feel like isn't half the fun of characters that old? Shouldn't they be less aware of how things work? I know that again, all a lot of this movies do in low hanging fruit, but like, shouldn't there have been more like confusion with Jay Barishall and his life and modern times? Although it does seem like Nicolas Cage was living through all the eras, so that sort of makes sense that he was with it. Well, I guess on the flip side, the example of a thing that I think could have been heightened a lot more, and I know we're in the silver linings portion, is there's a really terrible magician that Alfred Molina gets, like, saddled with. And I think you could have dialed that up a lot more. Because he's yes, like a it, Chris Angel mind freak magician. Right. And, like, but he's also an actual sorcerer. But because he doesn't have anyone for guidance, he just uses his tricks for cheap money. Yeah. So I and I think you could have done more with him, like how terrible that guy was. Yeah. And he was he was also the tip of the iceberg for how fun that character could have been. Right. Also, look, I mean, this is just off the top of my head right now. But since that guy is a real magician, Magic Castle scene where Nick Cage and Jay Barishaw have to throw together a magic act to blend in to get to this guy. Just one idea. One. Easy. Yeah. And then you have a like Penn and Teller cameo. Yeah, why? Come on. And then or we find any any David Blaine. No, no, it has to be no. Penn and Teller. I don't it has to be Penn and Teller. I don't want David Blaine. I don't either. But he's another famous magician. That's true. Yep. Um. Yeah. Uh. No. I. It, this movie, like, it is a super fun cast. I think underused, but still super fun. Like, Alfred Molina, like, uh, I didn't do a ton of research about this. I just knew that it was Nick Cage and Jay Baruchel, and that was enough for me. But then when I saw it was Alfred Molina, too, I got very happy, and uh, he gives it his all for sure. Yeah. No, he does. And I like that even, again, I would have dialed all of this way up, but there's a lot of fun, like, a lot of my favorite moments are his character just... Again, like when he and Nick Cage are trapped in the thing for 10 years, he gets out and then he goes, am I the first one out? And then he immediately 
just is throwing the thing out the window to try to kill Nick Cage, like within five seconds of escaping, like just the way immediately, the way that his brain was always calculating, okay, where am I? What's going on? How can I kill someone like that? You know, how can I immediately do the most evil in this situation? He was completely and unrepentantly malevolent. But also he was in love, which was a very interesting thing about this movie that the one thing I would not have guessed is how much this movie was ultimately about three men in love. (laughs) Because Jay Barishaw is in love with the girl from his school. Nick Cage is in love with Monica Bellucci. And then uh, Alfred Molina is in love with evil sorcerer inside of Monica Bellucci. And maybe Monica Bellucci. And maybe her too. Yeah. There's a lot. There's love quadrangle, love pentagrams, if you will. Yeah. And you kind of get that at first. Nick Cage is like, don't get involved with this girl. But then you realize it's because he was hurt thousands of years ago or whatever. That's a nice sweet moment when um, Jay Baruchel like sacrifices his magic ring uh, in order to save girl's life. And uh, Nicholas Cage is like, I would have done the same thing. Yeah, that was, that was a nice moment. That was nice. By the way, not enough time spent getting her up to speed because she has zero indication that there is magic in the world and that Jay Baruchel is capable of doing magic. And then she immediately finds it all out at once and they just move past it. I wonder about that because that's something a lot of movies do is when there's the one character that's outside of the mysterious world uh they adapt super quick to the mysterious world i wonder if like you're so overstimulated that you're just like f it yeah sure yeah like is that is that the most human response to that maybe i think the other one is just shutting down well yeah you know what maybe that's fair that yeah it would be so because it would shatter your entire perception of reality to a point that you would just, yeah, you'd be done. Which, you know what? That's kind of what happens in Ghostbusters. Like, and they even, they're Ghostbusters and they're aware of, like, the supernatural. But Ray just completely shuts down when the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man is fully realized. Right. So, I think that is, that's And they've the other seen movie. a bunch of ghosts up to that point. But they haven't seen a giant Stay Puft Marshmallow Man that existed only in Ray's mind until he thought of it. So. Right. I mean, even Egon says, I'm paralyzed <laughs> Beyond the realm of pe- rational thought. <laughs> yes. So uh, that movie or terrified probably, beyond the realm of rational thought. Yeah. That movie probably plays the truth of <laughs> being thrown into a, a new reality more than than most. Yeah. I mean, I think that the other one is just like you're so overwhelmed that you're just like, sure. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, yeah. Because I, I know like for me, like in my professional life, when things get overwhelming, I'm just like, fine, whatever. Sure. Let's do that. Yeah. So I would think that I think that that's actually a more reasonable response than some people give it credit for. I would still maybe call it lazy writing, but I I think it there is it is it it makes more logical sense than the 10% of your brain nonsense. Yes. Yeah. By the way, they they I I don't know why I'm thinking about that like but they almost gave Jay Barishaw a really cool cool guy moment and then they kind of like backed away from it a little bit and i wish they had given him the cool guy moment because i liked the instinct but the the whole thing is the the reason that he ends up 
in Nicolas Cage's shop is because this girl, he has written her like a do you like me check yes or no note. And she answers it, but then it blows away before he can get it. And he's chasing after it. And then when they're about to die at the end, he's like, what is the note? What did the note say? And she's like, well, you're, you're going to survive. Because he's like, in case I don't survive, what did the note say? And she's like, you're going to survive. Like, and then I'll tell you. And then at the end, she is like, oh, right, the note. And he has this cool guy moment where he's like, I don't care. And then he kisses her. But then she goes, well, it was it was girlfriend. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, he had that. Mo- give him the moment. Let him be the cool guy. Yeah. Because it's, it's the only time it's going to happen. <laughs> I, I did like that moment where he's like, I don't care. And kiss her like that was that was that's what I'm was saying. Good, that's a, a good moment. That's cool. That's like the coolest thing that's ever going to happen in that character's life where he's going to be telling he's going to tell his friend. There's a friend that we didn't even talk about, but he's going to tell him that he said that he's going to be like, you didn't say that. I guess I forgot about friend because there was girl, there was friend, there was sorcerer, yeah. there was bad sorcerer, there was evil girl, there was sorcerer girl. The friend is the easiest to cut from the whole movie. Like he did. Yeah, he the, did nothing. He served no purpose except to be like, you're a real loser, Jay Baruchel. You should be less of what a, a loser. Dork. You should you should talk to girls more. Yeah, that's his role. Yeah. But, I ha- oh, I don't know. I'd. Didn't have anything. I <laughs> well, thought I, gonna, I had something. I was gonna say. So you kind of mentioned that this is the second Nick Cage Turtle Tob team up that we have covered. The cage in the Tob. The Cage in the Tob. We we did National Treasure Two colon Book of Secrets. I think was the full name, if I remember. But um, what we didn't talk about then. But since this is Nick Cage month and what I think is a silver lining. So this is both retroactively add this as a silver lining to that movie, but then also a silver lining to this movie, which is that um, I found there's a really great GQ thing that I think I might have mentioned in our last show that uh, GQ kind of does a thing where they have people break down their roles and they did one with Nick Cage and he talked about National Treasure. But he said this and I didn't know this to be true until I heard him say it in this. And I think this is a silver lining to all of their collaborations. That I was working with a high school uh, classmate named John Turtletaub, who was the director. The two of us were crack ups. I mean, in, in high school, we were always making jokes and cracking each other up. And he got the lead role in Our Town and I got the crummy part of Constable Warren and he never let me forget it. And I got my revenge when... <laughs> I got on the cover of GQ, and John admitted to me, you know, I went to the store, and there, there you were on the cover of GQ, and how come Nick's on the cover of GQ, and I'm not on the cover of GQ? It was that kind of relationship, high school kids. But that, that kind of fun and, and playfulness carried through. Yeah, so I didn't know any of that, but they went to high school together. And then yeah, that, they, that, that's a neat thing. Yeah, so I thought that was fun. Also, I, again, they don't need the plugs, but I highly recommend if you're listening to this month and you like Nick Cage, checking that out. Uh, the the GQ thing because again, dude cares about his roles and puts thought into them, and I will always stand yeah, by that. No, definitely, and he he you know he Nick he's full on Nick Cage man. Yes. So, but yeah, I mean that that to me, I think we kind of hit it. Like the the cast yeah. is really great. Two old high school buddies 
got to get together and make a third. Yucking it up, making a fun sorcerer movie. Yeah, which that's the dream, Isn't right? Isn't that everyone's goal in life? Yeah, you just want to hang out with your buds and it must, by the way, it's got to be so silly to make a sorcerer movie. I thought about that watching this, that like VFX people don't get enough credit because more than anything, I think sorcerers without the special effect, because even with the special effects, it all looks kind of ridiculous, you know, and it, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if it's Harry Potter and they have wands. It doesn't matter if it's hands like in this. Well, this they had rings, but they still use their hands a lot. Or if it's Doctor like Strange, Doctor Sorcerers. Strange, where it's all hands. It's just you're just doing jazz hands until you're, some you're just doing weird, goofy pantomime yeah. until some VFX guy makes you look not ridiculous. I will say the VF, the visual effects in this movie were really good. Oh yeah, Jerry Bruckheimer. You think that you think you think the Brucks not gonna bring the VFX? Like, uh, the Brucks gonna bring the VFX because like I thought the dragon and the dragon scene looked really cool. Mm-hmm. The big metal eagle from the corner of the Empire State Building looked really cool. Yeah. Um, I, I one of the things I did read for the the wolf chase scene, it makes sense. Trust me. Um, they actually VFX the wolves' faces to make them look scarier because they were just like friendly, happy dog faces. Nice. And you don't can't really if I didn't know that, I wouldn't have known that other than the eyes glowing. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that either. But that that was a fun scene, too, by the way. I enjoyed that scene because then I liked when Nick Cage showed up that he did turn them into puppies like the wolves. Yeah, it was it was good stuff. Um, which, which the wolves so yeah, were conjured. The wolves were conjured from Jay Barishal's Wolf of the Month calendar. I calendar, think. his three wolf moon poster. <laughs> yeah. Which, again, I like it, but I'm telling you, if you want to look at places to heighten this movie and make it more ridiculous, I think there's a lot of alts on what that calendar could have been and what could have been conjured. Wolves are <laughs> solid, but like, yeah, you know, just just saying. Now, th- this this whole movie existed about six, between 6.5 and 7. And it needed to be at an 11. It did for everybody. I think Alfred Molina is the only guy and maybe Jay Baruchel are going higher than nine. Yeah, I mean, Molina for sure. And Jay Baruchel is just Jay Baruchel. And I don't think he has he, another yeah. gear. <laughs> um, No, he just he just Jay Baruchel's it. And it's I, I like it. I'm a I'm a I'm a Baruchel fan. Oh, no, I am, too, for sure. I like look, it, I could have watched 10 more scenes where Alfred Molina makes fun of work he did when he was a child and him being really like, hey, I was 10. I like, was 10. <laughs> like his indignance at that was was solid. Yeah. So I think we did it. So uh, stay. Keep your eyes peeled for Brainstorm uh, coming to theaters near you. Starring Jason Statham and Jay Baruchel. No, the Beak. Or or James Vanderbeek. But you know what? Look, Baruchel, you can. We'll find something for you. Yeah. And maybe the Beak is busy. Who knows? No, we got to get the Beak. I mean, now that you said it. Now that you said it. You can't do Brainstorm without the Beak. Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. Hey, this is Chris. And this is Joe from the Curioso Podcast. 
and we give our stamp of curioso approval to the podcast that you're listening to right now.